We're going to continue this morning in this series called, um, uh, what is it called? How We Fight. <laughs> oh, good. We do have slides. I thought maybe I didn't put slides, and I was like, in my mind, going, did I not put slides in this week? It could have happened. Um, and this is the last week in the series. I said this last week to you all as well, but I really, I've been, as we've gone through this series, and I did the imagery of the boxing gloves and stuff. I've been reminded again and again that God, that Christ calls us to the gospel of peace. And we're going to say, hear that again today. And so it's a reminder that our call is to be um, involved in the conversation, but in a peaceful way, right? In a non-hostile uh, way. And I know it's kind of tough for me because I don't mind confrontation personally. You know, like I don't have a hard time with it. I kind of enjoy a little good engagement. But um, for folks who don't, I, I understand it's a harder thing. But I have to recognize as one who does that, uh, that it's, it's important that we proclaim a gospel of peace and not a gospel of conflict in the world and uh, with all the power that the gospel has. And so we're, we're taking a look at the, we're going to finish where we started this morning. We're taking a look at the book of Ephesians and we've kind of broke out three particular contexts of the cultural conversation where I feel like we kind of lost the plot. We lost our space in that conversation or I, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel that we have for no good reason because God clearly speaks these things in loving and honest ways. And so we talked about how um, we're to put on the full arm of God so we can take the stand, our stand in the day. And, and this was the exact thing that um, it's... Um, the fight is not against uh, flesh and blood, so it's not against humans, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual for forces in the current darkness, which I love that imagery, that currently we're in this kind of fog of war. We can't see clearly. We can see glimmers occasionally, but we can't see clearly all the time what exactly is happening. So there's spiritual forces in the current darkness that we're in, and evil in the heavenly realms, which is crazy, because that's evil is like against God in the heavenly realms that are kind of manipulating things in our real current Day, everyday life. And so that's been the overall uh, concept of the series. And to look at uh, biblical perspectives on how we should engage in these cultural and relational conflicts in our lives with the tools of the gospel that actually undermine them or, or unwind them. And we talked about the, the um, redeeming the rainbow, this idea that God is a covenant God of promises to his people to not destroy them, but to make a way for them to be saved. And we know that's in Jesus Christ. We talked about how the gospel is the end of racism because we know for a fact that the end, all nations, tribes, and tongues are represented in his kingdom. We see that in the book of Revelation. And then we talked about how we're to submit to authorities, the rulers that God has placed over us, which might be the hardest thing for some of us to figure out and learn how to do because he's placed them there. But also the complex reality, and I was thinking about this this week especially, that those rulers are placed there for good and that God's going to judge both the rulers and the ruled. And so we have now a double problem where not only do we have to be faithful to God, but we ought to pray that our leaders would be faithful to God because as they are not, I said this to you, they cause the people to sin. And that's a pretty crazy thing, but that's found in the, the book of um, First Second Kings where it would say that over and over again. And the, the uh, king who was not following God's heart caused Israel to sin against God. By what? Chasing after false gods, believing false gospels, believing things that are not true. And so if our leaders won't humble themselves before the Lord, they're going to cause nations to sin. But ultimately, we are accountable to not fall for it ourselves and to be faithful to the God who made us. So as much as that makes sense, that's where that was about. And now we're going to pick up where we, where we, um, we're going to begin where we ended. And so I'm actually going to read, uh, those, the starting in chapter uh, six of Ephesians verse 10, those two verses first, I just want to read those. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Because our struggle is against, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so that's what we talked about a minute ago. That's where the fight is. And the problem is we can make it here when it's there, and we ought to be fighting there as much or more than we're ever fighting here. But then reading on, this is what we're going to talk about today, 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and all kinds of requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, the words may be given to me that I can, so that I can fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I would declare it fearlessly as I should. So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for your word and for the opportunity we have to come and engage you, not just on Sunday mornings, but every day of our lives, that we would care to turn an eye, turn an ear toward your word and have you speak into our lives. We pray this morning as we do that, we open your word that you would teach us from it. It would not be man's wisdom or a, a great thought, but it would be your indwelling Holy Spirit that would teach us to not only hear, enable us to hear and to see what you're saying in your word, but then to, to live it out. Give us the power, Father, and your Holy Spirit to live out these things in our lives that we might be more faithful followers of yours, that we might look more like your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So help us to do that work, help, uh, and we have to have you for it. So uh, we pray... Uh, uh, um, we know we screw this up all the time. And so, Father, we want you to help us uh, to transform us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we're, so we're going to kind of walk through that. You've heard this before. I know you have. I've done VBSs on this before, right? We know this material. But I want to walk through the idea of what it looks like. So we started this whole thing. That the, the battle is not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. But the first thing it says in verse 10 is, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. So it starts with that before it says where the struggle is. Put on the full armor of God so we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. That means that we do have an enemy who is attacking. And, and and I know it comes as a shock all the time when life gets hard. I just recently heard someone say that very thing. They're like, well, if you're a Christian, you're not going to have the same kind of problems that the world's going to have. And I'm like, no, you're going to have worse problems and different problems maybe, right? But I think sometimes people hear that and go, I'm not going to have problems when I'm a Christian. I don't think that that's true. Because it, Paul encouraged the church in Ephesus to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand, your stand, personalized, against the devil's schemes, the enemy of God who would desire to destroy God's own people. All these things that we talk about, and if you've been reading the Old Testament as we're going through the Bible in a year, you know over and over again the people fail because they're being led astray by their own hearts, by their leadership, by the enemy of God to, to turn to other false gods. And so we have to do this. And the first thing I want to say this morning is we have, and we're going to spend most of our time here, we have to take up every weapon of God in our lives. 
So we're going to go through the list starting in 13, but it's every weapon that's provided by God for the fight that we might be able to stand. And I want you to see that that's what it says, take a stand against uh, the devil's schemes and then therefore put on the, the armor, this is 13, of God, so that when the day of evil comes, which means it will certainly come to your house, it will certainly come to your life, it will certainly come to you personally, you may be able to stand your ground and to have done, and when you have done everything, look at the word says, to still stand. This is not a, a battle where we are going to, you know, be charging gates and, and taking, you know, our positions and all that, but to fight when the enemy comes to us to take our stand. And you can just imagine the imagery here of a battlefield decimated from the fighting, of, of real destruction, real loss, hard things that many of us never will see in our life. But what the word says, and if you take up these weapons of God at the end, when all the fighting is over, you will stand. I'm always amazed by that because it's like, I want to do more than stand. You know, I want to do other things. It's like, you'll be lucky to be standing at the end of this fight. You'll be lucky to be standing, not lucky, but blessed by God if you put on the full armor of God. So at the end, it's not to have some victorious, you know, route of the enemies, but to be able to stand your ground. It's interesting to me, too, by the way, that it's personalized when the fight comes to you in your life, that you were able to take the stand in your life. Because that's the problem a lot of times with faith. We go, well, they have faith and they have faith, but then whenever the, light, the fight comes to you, do you have faith? Often the... Um, there's an idea, you know, if you tramp a child in the way it should go, when they're older, they won't depart from it. But ultimately, that faith needs to be adopted and indeed integrated into our lives. It has to be our faith. We believe you. We stand. And indeed, in this case, that we take up this armor. The, the, uh, when it says take up the armor of God, it's an imperative command. It doesn't say if you feel like it, Christian, you might take up the armor of God. You know, whenever you got a minute, take up the armor of God. He's like, no, you must take up the armor of God, every weapon of God. So getting into that a little bit then, what is this complete armor of God? What does it look like? It says this, uh, it's the panoplia. It's each and every weapon. This is interesting because it's armor, right? But it's tools. Each and every weapon, each and every implement, each and every tool that indeed belongs to God. The ownership is of God. It's not our tools. It's his tools to fight in our life. So you have this panoplia, which is every weapon of God, every tool, however you prefer. Because if you're not so much conflict-oriented, you say, okay, I want a tool, not a weapon. Okay, fair enough, you know. But it's something that God has given us to fight the enemy, to defend our lives from the enemy with. I have a question as we kind of get into this list. Why would you or I leave any weapon or tool unused in a fight for our lives? Why would we, you know, facing the enemy, our enemy and God's enemy, why would we go, oh, this is really hard and God's got these things over here that I could pick up and take care of, but I'm just going to try it on my own for a while. I'm not going to do these things. I'm not going to, and we're going to unpack this because I think it's super important that we would understand what these weapons are and how they function in our lives, what, what, what Paul calls us to in putting on this armor of God. And we will find, by the way, it's, it's enumerated as a list, but it's one, it's a singular, the armor of God. It exists to protect all of us our whole lives. 
So we'll go ahead and jump in here. It says in 13, so after you've done everything, you can stand. That's the end of 13. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And so the first thing we have is this belt of truth, right? Which is already, I kind of get superhero images in my mind, you know, like the belt of truth, you know? And my uncle had a belt of truth in his house, but it was not that kind of a belt of truth. It was like, you want the belt of truth? Nope, nope, I'll tell you the truth right now. Because, but it, what does that mean? Is that what it is? It is like this kind of thing? No, it's not. It's, to, it's actually this idea, oh boy, here we're going to get in some trouble. It, it, it derives from the same idea of girding your loins, protecting the most vulnerable parts of yourself, the reproductive parts, that you would be ready for the day the enemy comes with what? The truth of God. I told you before that this idea of truth in the Bible is a lack of lies, but it also means a lack of, what would the word be? Uh, mm, a lack of being concealed. It means not concealed any longer. The truth is known. The funny thing about the truth is when it's spoken, you know it's true. This is what we realize whenever we're having these conversations with people and they're like half-truths. You're like, that's kind of true, but not fully true. But to know the truth and to gird your loins, what the word says, with the belt of truth. It actually has that idea, and you probably, you might have a belt on today. I have a belt on myself. But it's a belt that would go around your garments, and you could cinch it, right, so you're faster. Do you remember the stories about people running, and they would tuck their they would tuck their garment into their belt so their legs are free to go faster. This is what the belt of truth is to do. It's to quicken you for the fight, to get you ready to move the belt of truth, to be ready when the enemy comes and attacks, gathering yourself together, squeeze, you know, really compressing, cinching everything for speed and movement, speaking boldly about the obvious things that are not hidden in this life. And this is what I've been encouraging us on the whole time is to not advocate our responsibility as stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to speak truth when lack of truth is being shared or half-truths are being proclaimed, to be willing to say, "Ah, I don't think that's exactly right. I want to kind of just sit on this for a minute, talk about how we can gird ourselves with the belt of truth. And that means this, to to proclaim truth and not to proclaim other things. (laughs) Um, It's as much the second part of the problem as the the first. You might go, well, if I'm only going to speak the truth, that's going to be very little, I mean, truth, right? Yeah. But the problem is that too often the church will be caught up in half-truths toward a, a certain goal, a certain end. I just this week heard someone saying that someone was lying about some situation because they thought it helped promulgate the gospel of Jesus. They willingly, as a Christian, said, I know it's not the truth, but I'm going to share this untruth because I think it's to help people come to Christ. And, every, and, and I don't know how you feel about that, but everything means you're going, no, <laughs> no. You don't, you don't lie to get people to come to Jesus. You don't manipulate to get people to come to Jesus. I, you might be surprised to hear this, but I've heard of churches where they have mechanisms to get people to come to faith that are built on dishonesty. No. What are we doing? Is this a man-made operation, or is this a God-empowered, Holy Spirit-driven church? It's his people. So we should, we should, first of all, proclaim truth for sure, but we should be very cautious if we're speaking half-truths or non-truths. This means when we're engaged in these conversations and uh, dialogues, I would like to say, right, back and forth dialogues, that we be guarded against untruth. 
By the way, I'm not telling you that as someone who doesn't make this mistake all the time. I, I can't tell you how many times I found myself saying something I thought was true and then finding out it happened this week to me again. And this week I found out that I had that story wrong. So I had to go back to people I had told it to and say, I was wrong about that story. That wasn't exactly what happened there. Here's the truth of what is now known. And so we got to be cautious and proclaim then truths. I would even go one step further and say to gird ourselves with eternal truths, the big picture stuff, the things that really matter, set on those things. And stay away from the half-truths and the temporary fighting. So Paul says, gird yourself, tighten it up. And that, I love the imagery, by the way. It's like, it's like you pull another loop. I mean, how many people get excited when you run out of, right? Or you have to let it out another one, you know, the opposite side. To, to get it more and more tight and efficient and directed, that we would be people of the truth and nothing else. That right there is a lifetime calling, but a gift of God, an, a tool to fight the day the enemy comes. I know the truth, okay? And I don't have to be afraid of anything. The second thing then he says is, put on the belt of truth. Let's see, this is still in 14. And the breastplate of righteousness, wait a minute, in place. And with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Now we're going to get into some like real medieval kind of imagery here. But think of a suit of armor. You got this breastplate that's in place. It, it's actually called the thorax, right? It protects your thorax. And if you're like me, you want to hurt thorax, I'm like, oh, those are, bugs got thoraxes. Turns out we have thoraxes too. It's where all our vital organs live, right? And, and you can, and I've been, I'll say this again one more time here, but I've been listening and there's some really funny stories in the Old Testament about people getting killed, even though they're wearing a breastplate because the, the arrow goes Fink, and finds a spot through and gets to the vital organs. So there's this idea of being clothed with the breastplate of righteousness. I like to say it this way, the thorax of justice. <laughs> That's what it interprets in the, Greek, in the Greek. It's like the thorax of justice, like the belt of truth. Man, I'm a superhero being built. You can feel it right now. Protects the thorax where all your vital organs live, but especially your heart. Your heart, not just the physical heart that's beating in our chest, but also the place where our emotions reside, our judgment resides, our discernment re resides, the place that we can, that we see the world from, the place that colors the lens of our eyes, our heart. Here's how it was said. It's, uh, when I was doing research, it says this, it protects the heart and its emotions desi and desires as they bear on our own decisions, resolutions, and sympathies. I love that as it bears on our resolutions, decisions, and sympathies, that if our, heart isn't, if our heart isn't guarded by righteousness, we could have pity on the wrong people. We could, we could, and that sounds weird to say, right? But we could have our desire set on the wrong things because our heart isn't protected by what? Righteousness. Righteousness is God's discernment. It's God's uh, revelation, his truth. And it protects the most vital parts of us. What ought to, we talk about this all the time with Jesus, but it's this blank idea. Jesus would get sick to his stomach, right? That was in his thorax. He would get nauseous. We, recently, I was studying this stuff, and, and I heard it referred to as your gut brain. That there's actually ways that your body responds to your guts. That's why you get a little nauseous when things aren't good. You start to feel upset. This is that place where God's guarding our hearts in righteousness, clothing us, protecting us. 
The goal is to leave no part uncovered, no, no part vulnerable to what? Unrighteousness in our thoughts, in our words, and our action. So you have, you can just imagine this breastplate of righteousness. You know, I think of it being metal. I'm sure it'd be really heavy if you had to wear one for real. But it just protects all the vital organs so that you, you, you cannot be harmed in those critical ways. That um, God's righteousness protects us and indeed um, prepares us for uh, our own thoughts and words and actions. That it would guide our hearts and protect us. So now you have the belt of truth, so you're cinching things down. You have the breastplate of righteousness that guards us from the enemy's attacks in those places that can get us way out of whack, right? Where we can just be totally off the, off the path. And then let's see here, uh, 15. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And now he's tying some shoes on. And by the way, I'm going to say something real quick. There's six of these, but the first three of them, it's like you put them on, you take them up. You're doing these things, right, um, actively. It's like you're pregame. You're getting ready. And it says it means to wrap your feet with the readiness of the gospel of what? Peace. So it's really funny to me, interesting to me. So you're wrapping, your, you're literally like tying on your sandals, you're tying up your shoes, you're lacing them up for speed, to be ready to move, to be ready to run. And I don't necessarily believe it means to run away, like, you know, the Monty Python, run away, <laughs> right? But to run toward and bring what? More conflict, more disagreement? No, the gospel of peace. See, I think here it says it explicitly. It's the gospel of serenity, the good news of serenity, that God has made peace with his people, that he has done something remarkable in the Jesus Christ that saves people in this life. It, it, it unpacks a whole bunch of stuff. It impa impacts a whole bunch of things that we think have to be sorted right now that Jesus Christ died for our sins wrapping our feet with the readiness of the gospel of peace so we're ready to go, to run. It's to have a foundation or a firm footing, to be prepared, you know? Do you ever remember when you were a kid and you got some new shoes? Did anybody do that? Did, listen, if you buy a new car, you don't just go and buy the car and go take it home and see how it works. You gotta get in the car and test drive it. Did you guys ever do that when you were kids? Anybody ever get new shoes? I didn't get new shoes very much. When I got new shoes, you put them on the store. Mom would say, what do you think of them? You got to walk in front of that mirror, like, no. You go up and down the aisles, you're like, like this. You know what I used to love to do? Can I wear them home? Can I wear them out of the store? I got my new shoes. I'm in the parking lot, and I'm like running around stuff. Look how fast I am. Look at that. I can jump higher. And then you go play basketball with your friends, you can't jump higher. <laughs> play football, you aren't any faster. <laughs> But for a minute, you're ready. I'm ready. I got new shoes. That's what it is. It's to be ready to move, ready to get involved, ready to go. The gospel means go. It does mean that. <laughs> to get engaged, this gospel of peace. To show up in the middle of this and to have something to say that people might not expect. So you have this wrapping of the feet. I'm a lot of breath, y'all. <laughs> So we can run around. By the way, what a delight that we can do that as kids. Just run around, have fun. So, so you put on these shoes, so you're ready to go. So that's the first three. First three things then. A belt around your waist, chest protector, right? So you're, you're ready, and some shoes. 
the first three that we had to take up. But then it says this, and having taken up the shield of faith. Now that's interesting to me because the first three were imperative commands to do this. But this one says something factually has happened. And having taken up the shield of faith, this is in verse 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith in which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. But the taking up isn't a present taking up, but it's having done it, having already believed in what? The shield of faith. Having already had it. The funny thing about the shield here is it actually means door. It's a door. And and you'll go, okay, is it a literal door? Well, it's a door because you can see a door back there. It's a door that, like, you know, protects all of you. You you can imagine the um, the Roman, probably the most famous fighting force, would have these huge shields and doors, and they would just, you know, have them locked together, and they could advance this way. Sadly, we see some of this in our culture today, right, on the streets. Police locking themselves behind a door and moving crowds back, right? But I love that it's imagery of a door because it's also... Christ is the door. He's the way. And so you have this shield of faith, and it guards everything. I don't know if this is biblically accurate, but I have a sense that when we take up, when we having, having taken up the shield of faith and it's protecting us, even though we are coming to know these things about the readiness of the gospel and the belt of truth we're learning back here, we get to, and we're going to talk about this, but we get to kind of talk, speak over the shield and hide behind the shield of faith. You, know, you can't get to like lob things out there and then get back behind the faith shield. I don't know if that's biblically accurate or not, but that seems about right. That we would engage in the conversation. Why? Taking, having taken up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now you get the idea what's happening. These arrows coming in. Shunk, shunk, shunk. And they're not just any arrows, they're flaming arrows. But it says, when you hold the shield of faith, you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy. And so that's, again, a thing about something we can do because of our faith in Jesus Christ, because of the faith that he has given us to stand behind, to stand in, to know will protect us on the day of assault from the evil one. You can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one with the shield of faith that you already have. That's wild. So whenever these arrows, these darts, these missiles, these javelins are being thrown from the bad, evil, wicked one, they they can hit the shield of our faith and not us. We're protected because we've already taken it up. You know, Paul's writing this letter to the church that's already believing, by the way. We ought to know that. Already believing in the gospel of Jesus. 17, then take up the helmet of salvation. We'll stop right there. So taking up the helmet of salvation. Now you go, okay, and this is also having taken up. It's also in the, um, uh, you've done it. You're doing it, you've done it as well, though. The helmet of salvation. It's the wrapping around of the head of what, though? You know, it's like, I, I ride motorcycles, so this is pretty obvious to me, a helmet. That, I still know what a helmet is. I don't wear a breast, uh, breastplate, but I wear a helmet, so I know what that's about. But it's this encompassing of our head from what? Injury, from striking, right? From things that we don't see coming. From, uh, that's why I, I told somebody that's why they're called accidents because you don't plan on them, right? They just happen. But what is, what is the helmet of salvation? 
it is, or what is the helmet? It's of salvation, the soteriology of our God, Jesus Christ. It's our defense before God himself that we have been saved in Jesus' name. And I think it's really interesting that in this one, taking up, having taken up the helmet of salvation, again, past tense, so you have taken up the faith and you have taken up the helmet of salvation already, that is protecting your brain, your mind, your thoughts with the reality of the salvation you have in Jesus Christ. I just want to say that again to you, that the helmet of salvation is a mental protection that you have been saved apart from yourself in the name of Jesus Christ. Because you know why I think that's a big deal? Because people can get you to doubt your salvation. Are you sure you're saved? Are you really saved? Is God really going to save you? Is Jesus really enough? And those kind of things come against your mind more than anything else. But he says, wrapped around your head is this assurance that you have been saved, the helmet of salvation. And so it's a protector in the same way to keep our, and why would that matter? Because that's where our whole thought life lives, right? That's where everything that we imagine and dream and hope lives in our head. And so we have the helmet of salvation that's wrapped around us, protecting us. And again, this is God's armor. And lastly then, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I'm going to spend just a second on this. So the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And right away I'm thinking, well, this is my sword, right? This is my sword. If you hang out with me often or whatever, I will often carry my sword back here when I walk into places because I don't like to carry it here. And so I carry it here. It's my concealed carry, I call it. My concealed carry. And I put it like that. And that way, just in case something goes down. And Eric, I don't know when people see that, they go, what is he carrying? That is some kind of a, that's a, I don't know what that is back there. You know, it's not what, you know, but pull that baby out and I'm ready. I can't say this very, very often. I've whipped it out. I'm like, hey, I'm ready. <laughs> but I always feel like if I get in the middle of something sketchy, I got my weapon. I'm ready to fight. The sword of the spirit. That's what I thought. Then I was reminded, this is the rhema of God. The sword of the spirit is the rhema of God, the word of God. And I'm pointing to Dale Compton. He's talked about this before, which some would say is the spoken word of God. Then you get this whole dialogue, which I dug into this week, of Rhema versus Logos. And it's interesting to see what is there, but they're both the promises of God. It seems that one is those that are applied to our lives, that when we apply the word of God to our own lives, it's that idea of Rhema. You're living it out. You're trying to figure these things out. And it's got power in the application. So in other words, people say, oh, it's just, you know, that old book. Yeah, until you start to try to apply it to your life, right? Someone told me this very week, they, they were hanging out with me, and they said, you know, I always thought I understood, but it wasn't until I did it that it worked. <laughs> so they always had their head knowledge, but they'd never applied God's word to their life in this particular way, and all of a sudden, everything opened up for them for the first time in their life. And they were, you know, they had lived a lot of life already, been a Christian a long time, and they're like, it's, and they were so excited. I can't believe it. It's so exciting that God's word is, uh, is truthful in that way that I can apply it to my life. Of course it is. So, how, so what is a sword? The sword is like a, a piercing weapon. It's a dagger for stabbing. It, it actually is a retribution of God, the retribution of God in the spirit of God. And so you have this opportunity. So now I'm talking about the shield of faith, and I'm talking about this little dagger weapon. You can, right? But you know the word of God cuts both ways, 
And so it opens us to stabbing with the word of God, applying scripture to a situation, prayerfully thinking about what this really means and that belt of truth, that it's really God's word applied in our lives that matters. I want to say one thing about that uh, real quick. So this idea that uh, if you don't know what it says, you can get into all kinds of trouble. I often hear people quote things that they say are scriptural, which are not scriptural. And I usually gently say, where's that in the Bible? And they'll go, oh, it's in there somewhere. And I'll go, find it and bring it. Because it might be. I could be wrong. I don't know all the Bible. I could be wrong. And they come back and go, you know, I couldn't find that in the Bible. I found something close. Well, let's look at what you found that was close and see how that comports with what you say is true. Because we should fight by knowing what is in the word of God. We have to acknowledge God's spoken word. If we're gonna, and this is a thing with Rhema too, people go, well, I can just proclaim anything and it's gonna happen. That's not what God's word says. If you don't know what God's word says, you can get yourself in a whole big mess because you're saying things that God never said and believing that it's true. So we ought to know what it says and then begin to proclaim those truths. And so this is the way I kind of see this in my own life is that you're in the middle of the thick of it and a scripture comes to mind. And it's a scripture. And if you don't think it is, you look it up and you find where it's at, right? And then you're like, and that's something that God's in that moment saying, this applies right now to your life. It can make all the difference in the world as the enemy comes against you. To, knowing what, to know what the word of God says, the sword of the spirit, so that God can have retribution against the lies that we face. So the first three are, are things that you, we do. The, then they have these ones that are um, commanded, required, that we've already done. And so now, the Paul, after all that, so he says, put on the full armor, right? And you're like, awesome, we're all armored up. We're ready to go here, you know? We've got our armor on, we're ready. I love it, because he immediately turns to this. And I, man, praise God for this. After you have all this equipment and all this gear on, you're ready to fight, it says, and pray, this is 18, and pray in the spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and all kinds of requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the saints. So you're all geared up to fight. You're ready for this big, yeah, the enemy's gonna come. He's like, and so now church, pray, 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 pray. Pray about everything, pray about anything. There's nothing too small or too large that we ought not be praying for. It's a weapon of God to fight the enemy at the gate. Pray, pray right now. If you have a problem in your life, you need to pray about it. I, I'm the same way, right? All kinds of prayers, all kinds of requests. Just be asking, God, what's going on here? What should I do next? Where should I go in my life? What's my next step of faith here, Father? Where are you calling me to follow you into? Pray in every season. And then he says this, watching with perseverance and supplication amongst all the saints. So again, we're fighting together and we're praying for all the other people who are also belonging to Jesus Christ. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints of God. And we mentioned that earlier today, right? We ought to have an awareness of what people are experiencing all over the world, not just in our own circles. Those who know Jesus Christ, we ought to have a sensitivity to the, the gospel being proclaimed in other parts of the world that may not be the gospel at all. We ought to be praying that God's Holy Spirit would be teaching, and indeed in our own lives, correcting our own bad doctrine as we seek him. God, that we would be more faithful in prayer Paul ends there. Isn't that wild? After all that, and then pray, church. Pray, 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 he says. 
And then I love this. So he doesn't just say pray for everybody and pray for the saints, but he says, and pray for me. <laughs> Look at that in 19. Pray also for me, Paul says. And I go, man, I love Paul as a leader because he's like, I need you to pray for me too, that whenever I open my mouth, the words would be given to me so that I would fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Do you think it was hard for Paul to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Like, do you think it was hard for him? I, I look at Paul and I think, you know, I mean, I got heroes of the faith that I see that share their faith openly, but I imagine Paul, you couldn't talk to him for five minutes until he talked about Jesus. He'd be like, and guess what, Jesus. He would talk about it, right? But if that's the case, then why would Paul say, pray for me that I might fearlessly make known the gospel? That means there must have been some fear, even in Paul, to share. And maybe in this way, we can connect with him a little bit and say, man, I'm ready. I believe in Jesus. But then it's like, but are you ready to proclaim it to your friends, your family, your coworkers, your neighbors? And you're like, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm a little afraid. What are you afraid of? I'm afraid they're going to attack me. I'm afraid they're going to whatever. You know, they're, they're not going to like me. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And Paul says, no, pray for for me that I might rightly proclaim the gospel fearlessly. Isn't that wild? Fearlessly making known and listen to the word, and I got to preach it, the mystery of the gospel. <laughs> How does it work? I don't exactly know, but it has to do with Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. How will this happen in my life? What? I don't know, but God is interested in you. He cares about you, the God who made you. You don't know my situation. You're right, but God knows your situation. Oh, I'm going to get into this. Fearlessly making known the mystery, the mysterion of the gospel, euangelion, of Jesus Christ, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Here he says it again. Pray that I would proclaim it fearlessly as I ought, as I should. Paul goes, I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm having a hard time doing it, church, so pray for me. Pray that I proclaim it boldly and passionately and honestly and directly without fear as I should. And I wrote my notes. I don't write in your Bible. I wrote, we should too. <laughs> as I wrote, and we should too. Pray for one another that we might put on the armor of God and then proclaim the gospel to those who don't yet know Christ to brothers and sisters who don't yet fully apply the scriptures, to one another, that we would be bold in our faith. Bold in our faith. Why? And this is where we're going to end with this and some takeaways. Because we are fully equipped in Christ. We are fully equipped. Going back to Ephesians 6, 13, Paul says this, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground and after having done everything to stand. I told you earlier, I alluded to this, all these weapons, all these things available to us, there, there's one thing, it's the armor of God and it's made perfect in Jesus Christ that in fact, having taken, having believed in Christ in salvation, having had the faith, having had the helmet, having the sword of the spirit, you know, in our lives, affecting us and others, and then doing these other things, taking up these weapons, is the perfection of being equipped in Christ. We are, listen to me, church, fully equipped in Christ. It means, I said, every tool and every weapon. It also means a complete set, a complete set of offensive and defensive weapons. It is everything you need and I need to wage war successfully in our lives. And I hope you hear that today, that you have all the tools at your disposal in Jesus Christ to fight the enemy at the door, that everything, there's nothing lacking in your life. Here's another thing that we should 
keep in mind, this is a quote I got. We do not fight for victory. We fight from Christ's victory. You hear that? We don't fight because we're going to fight to win. We fight because we've won. He's won for us. And in the armor of God, the complete totality of his protection, we can fight from the victory and bring it bring to the enemy, right? So we are fully equipped in Christ. And I just want you to know that today. There is no lack in Jesus. One of my favorite things about Family Bible Church is we're honest, right? And I talk to people and they, and they're in other churches, and there's so much dishonesty. And it's not dishonesty like lying, but it's pretending. And one of my favorite things and the most difficult thing about Family Bible is we're honest about what's going on in our lives. We, we confess struggles. We, we're open. We're open books. We let people see what's really happening. And because of that, we proclaim a gospel that is not about us, but about Jesus Christ who died for our sins. We sang the words today. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. And still, what is it? overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Come on, church. We are fully equipped in Christ for everything that comes to our door. Three takeaways in. We must take up, use, and fight with the weapons, the tools, the things that God made available to us in Christ Jesus. We ought to wrap ourselves in it. We ought to, oh, I didn't say this, but then the, the breastplate, you fall into the breastplate. That's the imagery the Bible has. You don't put it on, you kind of fall into it. Like it exists and you just get inside of it, right? We ought to do that. We ought to wrap our feet with the quickness that comes with the gospel. We ought to gird our loins with the truth that is in the gospel. We ought to be ready for this. We should remember that we have been fully equipped in Jesus Christ, our Lord, fully equipped. And I want to have one final stop this morning. We should know that God has custom-fitted armor for us in our lives for our own fights. And this is going to tie this whole idea that Paul has back to... Um, the Old Testament kings. There's this great story. We're not going to get into it. We're going to read two verses. This is going to be in 1 Samuel 17, 38, and 40. But there's this big enemy out in the field, you know, and, 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 and he's taunting Israel, making fun, and no one knows who's going to fight him. And Saul's there. King Saul's there. Nobody knows who's going to fight this guy. And this shepherd boy, David, rolls up to bring sandwiches for the troops. And when he sees the enemy of God mocking God's people, he gets this kind of righteous indignation. He's like this little dude. He's like, hey, who's going to go fight that, that mountain of a man? Who's going to go take the fight to them, right? And, and there's this great moment. And you know the story, right? David and Goliath. Anyway, but listen to this in the middle of it. So, so in Saul's tent, David's saying, I'll fight him. I'll go fight him. And it says in 38, then King Saul dressed David in his own tunic. That means the king's tunic. And he put on the coat of armor on him and he put a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on the sword over this tunic, and he tried walking around because he was not used to them. So you have this imagery of a shepherd boy who brought sandwiches to the troops. He's in the king's tent, and he puts on all his armor, and David's like this. Oh, I can't even move in this stuff. I'm going I'm I'm to be doomed out there. All the stuff that the king had fitted for him to fight. What does it say? 38, 39. David says to Saul, I cannot go in these because I'm not used to them. So he took them all off, listen to the word, and then he took his staff 
in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the stream, and he put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the great Philistine. David had custom armor. Everything in his life had led him to that fight. Every time he was caring for his sheep, every time he saw a bear, every time he saw a, a, a lion or tiger, I don't know what they have over there, right? But a, a predator, every time he saw the enemy, he was being prepared for the day of battle because God is a God of sovereignty over our whole lives. He didn't wear the king's armor to fight. He wore what God had equipped him with. You have a custom set of armor. And church, listen to me. It might very well involve things you've gone through in your life that cause you to slay the enemy. Using them the way God taught you to use them. Custom fitted armor. I want to say that because I, I don't want you to think, well, this is one size fits all. Christ is, but our equipping is unique. So how have you been fighting these battles in your life? We talk about cultural fights. How have you been fighting it? Does it look like the gospel of peace when you show up? Or World War III? I think I really struggle with that. I mean, because I just see so much anymore where we, we would just assume bring Armageddon than the gospel. And then lastly, are you utilizing the tools, the implements, the weapons that God has made available to us in Christ to fight the enemy when he comes? Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to uh, engage with you and engage with one another and just look honestly at our own lives and the things Lord, I say this all the time. We don't know one another's stories perfectly, but you know perfectly our stories. You know the things we've gone through. You know the victories and defeats, the difficulties that we've all faced individually in our lives. And you have provided Jesus Christ that we could have that faith in him, a salvation that is assured even as we learn to use these, these tools that you've made available to us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord, I pray for my friends who are struggling today that you would be intervening in their lives in powerful ways. You'd be leading them as Lord of their hearts, King of their lives, and that indeed we'd be learning to fight in you. I pray a prayer of repentance, Father, for the church with the times that we kind of try to do it ourselves and find our own way and, uh, you know, chase after the culture on all sides of these issues instead of looking to what the gospel would have us to do and say, may we stop that behavior and be, be, return to being the people of the book, the people that you've called to, uh, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, for those who've been faithful, I just give you praise and thanks. For those who are encouraging us in the faith, we just give you thanks and praise. And for all the saints over all the world and all time and all places, we praise you, Father, and we pray you would be Lord of their hearts and ours as well. Help us to uh, be willing to enter the fight. We love you so much. We thank you for this opportunity to engage you. In Jesus' name, amen.